Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Chapter 13, part three. We are ready for verse 31. We finished last week with this thought that as Jesus gave the morsel to Judas, said, what you must do, go do quickly. And it said, Judas went out and it was night. An incredible metaphor for being outside of Christ. Wherever Christ is light, you'll remember in the book of 1 John, John, the author we're studying in this gospel, wrote, you know, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. In Christ is light because Christ is the light of the world. Christ is the uncreated light. But when Judas, by his own free will, chose to go ahead with his diabolical plan, he walked out into darkness. And that's a, John was writing that so poignantly for us. And so we pick up to this morning with verse 31, and uh, we hear these words. Verse 31 and verse 32. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and in him God is glorified. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Let's just take those two verses. We're going to go a little beyond that in just a minute with some interaction here with, with, the, uh, with Jesus' last command to his disciples. But I want to speak to this idea that Jesus, as Judas has left the room, Jesus, Jesus is saying now. And that's such a that's such an interesting choice of words. Uh, what is it about this point in this in his life, in his ministry, in his relationship with the disciples? What is it that causes him to say now? Um, what is the ultimate glory of Jesus Christ? He's saying here now is this now is the Son of Man glorified. The Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. And we know that refers to him in his humanity. He's the son of God in his divinity. He's the son of man in his humanity. Um, Jesus uh, never points to himself and says, hey, I'm glorified. He just doesn't do that sort of thing. He's, He's the ultimate in humility, Jesus Christ is. But here in this verse, he says, now is the son of man glorified. Because now he is about to move out into the final hours of his life. The plan is set in motion. Judas has gone out. It's just him and the eleven now. And he's pointing towards, in this moment, the die, in other words, kind of like the die has been cast. Okay, this is really done. Here, Judas took the bread. Judas went out. This is really going to happen. Now that it's really happening... The Son of Man is is glorified now. What is the glory? What is the ultimate glory of Jesus Christ? Let's talk for just a little bit about the glory of Jesus Christ. 
Is it because he's God? And is it because he's man? Is it because he's so loving? Is What is it? I think what he, the author John here is pointing us to is that it's this it's this act that is set in motion, and that act is the crucifixion. Okay, the passion of Jesus Christ. His passion is being set in motion. Remember earlier at the dinner, he said he again he said his spirit was troubled. I mean, this is a very a very poignant time. And I, what I want us to catch a glimpse of is that the real glory of God. The real glory of Jesus Christ is the cross. Why do I say that? It's the passion of Jesus Christ. His suffering and his death. Why do I say that that's the real glory? Because he did it for the whole world. Because he did it for everyone, for the whole world. But just, you could even stop and say, because he did it. Mm -hmm. Okay? He really did do it. He really did suffer and die. It is, uh, it is remarked by historians that the real glory of any great battle or campaign isn't the victory. It's the lives that were lost to gain that victory. On Veterans Day, you know, we stop to remember the lives that were lost, the price that was paid. And it's that way in every campaign. It, it's not the people that are still alive at the end of the battle. It's not the general that's alive at the end of the battle that, that's really glorified. It's, it's the lives that were lost. It's the price that was paid. And Jesus paid the ultimate price. That points us to love. That points us to a love that is beyond anything we could imagine. So God is glorified in many ways in Jesus' life. He's glorified by his obedience. Absolutely, Jesus was perfectly obedient. God is glorified in many ways through Jesus' miracles that he performed. So in many ways, we could look at this verse and say, now is the Son of Man glorified. He's been glorified. Uh, God has been glorified in him. And he goes on to say, he's comparing the glory in himself, in other words, in the Son of Man, as and in him, God is glorified, that last half of verse 31. So in Jesus, God, the Father, is glorified. So he's tying their glories together here. If the Son of Man is glorified, the Father is glorified. And if the Father is glorified, the Son of Man is glorified. If God is glorified in him, verse 32, then God will also glorify him, meaning Jesus, in himself. And glorify him at once. There's a there's an... Uh, there's a, a moment of uh, instanty. There's a word. I just can't get the word to roll off my tongue. You know, there's, a, there's a moment of urgency here. At once. Now. This is the glory because he has already turned his face to the cross and there is no going back. And God is glorified in Jesus' perfect obedience, in his perfect love, and in his. And, and I think because by... One of the reasons I think John says here now is the Son of Man glorified and in him God is glorified is because in the cross we see the full revelation of God's glory. You can say, well, we look at creation. Wow, the creation is God's glory. You know, we can think of all the, 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 human, the hu human being, you know. When you stop and think about the intricacies of, 
of, of just life, birth, and the cell, I think, go to the cellular structure and the DNA and all. I mean, life is such a miracle. It's amazing. God is glorified in all of these things. But in nothing, I think our point here in the story is in nothing is God more glorified than in the cross. What takes more glory? What takes more love? To create the world? To create everything? Or to die for it? To die for it. Absolutely. In fact, to die for it is the ultimate sacrifice. The ultimate sacrifice of love. Yes. Um, I have John Wesley's notes. And I like, yes. I like how he says, being fully entered into his glorious work of redemption, this evidently rela- relates to the glory which belongs to his suffering in so holy and victorious manner. I like that last part, holy and victorious manner. Yeah, that's beautiful. Wesley's notes on that are just absolutely beautiful. This glory of Jesus, it, it, he's revealing the Father. And when he, when he goes and actually mounts that cross, when we look upon the cross, when we look upon the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are looking upon the love of the Father. The ultimate love, the greatest love there could be. So never forget that. So for Christians, the cross, the glory of the cross, the ugliness of that of that pain and that sorrow and that suffering, the ugliness of that is actually beautiful. It's the most beautiful love in the world. And I think that's why, I think that's perhaps why artists and spiritual uh, painters and different people through the ages have always depicted the crucifixion of Christ. Um, I think that's why, uh, you know, there. For most of the history of Christianity, you, the Christian symbol of the there's the, like the difference between the crucifix and the cross. What's a crucifix? Is a cross with a body hanging on it. Well, lots of people died on crosses, but the purpose of the crucifix is to show Jesus dying on the cross. Because when we look upon the body of Jesus dying on the cross, it is truly the most glorious act of love ever given, the most beautiful display of love. So a non-believer looks at the cross of Christ, he looks at the crucifix, and he sees ugliness, he sees horror, he sees pain, he sees, why would anyone do that? He could have saved himself sort of thing, you know. The believer, the Christian, the follower of Jesus looks upon the crucifix, looks upon the actual body, the slain body of the slain, the lamb, one slain as a lamb who was slain, and sees beauty, and sees love, and sees the glory, the love of the Father. So the Father's being revealed here. Um, let's see, I had a couple of, couple of other notes here. Um, I think it's important to us to realize that, that this love is, uh, is the ultimate sacrifice, and he's about to tie the, his love for us that goes to the cross and the Father's love for us. He's about to tie that into our lives in these next few verses. So let's read on just a little bit here with a couple more verses. And let's look at verses 33 through 35. Jesus continues his talk with his 11 now. 
And he begins with this phrase, little children. This is a very poignant phrase. John uses it in his writings a lot. He's putting it into the the mouth of Jesus now. That's where he heard it, this little children. Rabbis often called their disciples little children. We're all just learners. Children is the perhaps the, the great the great example of learners. So it's a it's a it's a caring title for them, little children. Yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So now we see, let's stop with those verses, and let's think about what is it that Jesus is is being glorified because he is committing himself to the greatest act of love ever given, and now he's going to Look at his little children, his disciples, and even as he looks at us today, and he's calling them to that same love. Look at what he look at what he says here. Um, he, he's admitting number one that I'm only going to be with you a very short while. My hours are almost up. You know, we're <coughs> we're down to the last 24 hours, and he's admitting that to them. I'm just going to be with you, and and, and where I'm going to go, I'm going to tell you the same thing I told the Jews. Now. Earlier, we had heard a discourse between John and the Jews and Jesus, I mean, Jesus and the Jews, and, and he, he told them, you know, where I go, you cannot follow. And they're like, well, where does he think he's going? You know? uh, what does Jesus talk about? Where's Jesus going? Do we know what Jesus is talking about here? When he goes to heaven. Yeah, he, it, he's going to go back to the glory he had before, but not before he enters the cross, the grave. The resurrection, the ascension, they kind of all flow together. But but really, from the moment Jesus hangs on that cross and dies, the minute he dies, okay, there's, a, there's a moment in all of life when death occurs, that final heartbeat, okay? When that happens, Jesus crosses into the beyond, into the kingdom from which he came, outside of time and Space back into eternity, and that's somewhere the Jews couldn't go. They couldn't comprehend that, and they can't go. Where you know they're used to following him for three years. They've been following him. They want to be everywhere Jesus is, and he wanted them with him. But he's trying to prepare them. You cannot go. More more appropriately, he could have said to them, "You can't go right now, but one day you will," and that'll come out a little more in the in the dialogue later. But where I'm going, you cannot come. So his last commandment, he gives them a last commandment. But he doesn't call it the last commandment. He calls it what? A new commandment. Let's look at that word new. I want to talk about that word. I want to put it on the board because that word is, is, uh, is a very important Greek word in the text. Okay, There are two words for new that are commonly used in the Greek. And the first one is a word... Uh, Kainos, and I probably say it wrong. I always do that because uh, I'm not a Greek scholar. Kainos. And the other word is neo. Neos. Or neos. Neos. However it's pronounced. Okay. You see the difference in the two. Let's think about what these two words mean. 
This word, kainos, means uh, something that is brand new. Brand, we might say, brand, it's brand spanking new. Never before. It's, it's a new creation, okay? Something brand new. Whereas neos, or neos, neos, means something that is young. It's new in the sense that it hasn't been around all that long. It's kind of a new thing. See the difference in our vernacular? That, see, that's one of the important reasons we want to learn some Greek words is because they have different connotations. Where in English we just say, that's new. Well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by it's new? Well, the text is telling us what Jesus meant by Jesus chose these words carefully. So he's saying, I'm giving you a brand new commandment. Now, they had 613 commandments, right? The law of Moses was 613 commandments. And Jesus is saying, I'm giving you a brand new commandment. Now, if we were to go back to, uh, we were to go back into the Old Testament and look up some verses, which we don't really have time to do right now, but we could read in the law of Moses where it actually says that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's in the law of God. That's in the law of Moses. So in what sense is Jesus, If they, they grew up knowing that. Remember in Matthew 22 when the, the records the great commandment, greatest commandment? Remember the, the kind of the Pharisees and people are challenging Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus said, well, it's to love the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he said, and I tell you, the second is just like it. To love your neighbor as yourself. So this idea of loving others is not that new, really. But yet Jesus calls it brand new. What is it about the love that Jesus is about to demonstrate? Well, he's been demonstrating it all along, but he's about to demonstrate it in the ultimate act of sacrifice. Okay, what is it that makes it different than all this other love? This love that they've been taught as a child that they should have for everyone. Well, I think there's a, there's, there's a difference here. Let's look at how did Jesus love? I'm going to point out three ways. There's probably multitudes, but I want to point out three ways to you this morning that I believe we can say Jesus loved his own. He loved his own disciples. He loved God's children. He loved everyone that he encountered. How did he love them? Well, number one, he loved them selflessly. Jesus was the ultimate in selfless. To love others selflessly is something that perhaps you and I cannot quite do. We strive for it, okay? But even the love between a husband and a, and a, and a wife, you know, it, it just, as, as loving, as, as agape we, as we want to be, as unconditional as we want to be, there is always that reserve in our humanity that, that just doesn't quite get there. But Jesus is God, and he has perfect love. And so he loved selflessly. That's our goal. Our goal is to strive to be like him, to love selflessly. So there's a sense in which it would be new. If they could really truly learn to love selflessly as he has loved, that would be brand new. Um, he loved sacrificially. Right. We're about to see that. 
Jesus loved sacrificially, and he's about to prove that as the ultimate sacrifice of the cross. Loved to love someone sacrificially. Well, we sacrifice many things for our families, don't we? we? Out of love, we sacrifice many things for our children, for our parents, for uh, you know, others. Uh, but we haven't laid down our lives yet, at least those of us in the room haven't. There are some that have. We just talked about how that ultimate sacrifice is the glory of any true campaign or battle. Um, and this life, we make no mistake, it's a battle. It's a battle against good and evil. And the ultimate glory is the ultimate love, which is to have the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is going to go on, as we study John in the next few chapters, he's going to go on and say these words. He's going to go on and say that the greatest thing you can do is to lay down your life for a friend. That's the ultimate love. Jesus loved that way, sacrificially. And then I think the third way that Jesus loved that we can see in his life is he loved... And these are things that we want to aspire to, okay? Selfless love, sacrificial love, and the third one to me is merciless or merciful. Mercifully is better. Merciful, I didn't mean merciless. Mercifully. To love, what does it mean to love mercifully? What would that mean to love someone mercifully? With compassion, with forgiveness, with grace for every need. Okay, so they, you can see how these kind of build upon each other. To love them mercifully, to have mercy. Uh, Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Who, who doesn't need mercy? I need mercy. Everyone needs mercy. I need mercy more every day, it feels like. But the realities are... Um, Mercy is quite a it's it's quite a, a a gift. I mean, to give someone mercy is is a, is an incredible gift, and that's what we're called to do. We're called to be merciful servants of Jesus Christ. That that's something that I, that's a phrase that I used years ago in, in my ministry. That God called me to, and I began. A teaching ministry, and there's only about three or four people in the whole world that ever joined that ministry. <laughs> but it's called the Merciful Servants of Christ, because that was what God laid on my heart. You are to be my merciful servant. Okay. We talk a lot about grace. Oh, I need grace. We all need grace, and thank God for grace. But I need mercy too, and everyone needs mercy, and everyone deserves mercy. Uh, because we're all sinners. Who does not deserve our mercy? If we really want to get serious, everyone deserves mercy. We're all sinners before God. You know, the minute we say, I'm not going to be merciful to that person, I don't, they, they didn't treat me well, so I don't have to show them mercy. Well, now that's not Christ like at all, is it? So everyone deserves our mercy. We are, we, we are benefactor, we are you know, we have benevolently received of Jesus' mercy. So he knew them. He knew these disciples in that room. He knew their weakness. He knew Judas would betray him. He knew Peter wouldn't be strong in the end. He knew all of these weaknesses, but yet he loved them selflessly, sacrificially, and mercilessly. I mean, mer mercifully. i got to quit confusing those two words. Uh, mercifully. 
Um, let me read something to you that, that was written by uh, one of the early church fathers, St. John Chrysostom, 4th century, patriarch of Constantinople, a great writer. When Jesus said, where I go, you cannot come, he shows that his death is a removal and a change for the better to a place that does not admit corruptible bodies. This, he says, both to excite their love toward him and to make it more fervent. You know, I love this, he says, you know that when we see any of our dearest friends departing from us, meaning dying, our affection is the warmest. And the more so when we see them going to a place to which it is not even possible for us to go. So he's talking about when we see our loved ones dying. Yes, it's warmest when we know they're going to leave and we're not going to see them again. Maybe they're moving away or something. It's warmest. But when we see them dying, if you I mean all of us ultimately experience the death of our loved ones. And it is in that presence. It is in that moment, especially if we're there in that moment when they cross over, that we realize a, a love for them. That is just, you can't even put it into words. It's, it's not possible for us to go, but, oh, we realize what we're about to lose in their time with them and, and, and affection with them. I, I could go on and on, but you, I think you get the gist of what St. John is saying here. He said these things then, terrifying, I'm going on with, uh, with St. John Chrysostom's words. He said these things then, terrifying the Jews, but kindling a longing in his disciples. This is such a place that not only they, but not even you, my most beloved, can come there. In this statement, he also makes clear his own dignity, since he can go there. He can go there because he's God, because he's ready, and because he is righteous. The Jews can't go there. And even you, my beloved, you can't go. Now, we all know we're getting close to chapter 14. Chapter 14 begins with that beautiful phrase of, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. My father's house for many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. For if I go there to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you that you may be with me where I am. He's going to tell them you can be with me, but I'm getting ahead of myself. That's chapter 14. I'm going to save the last few verses of chapter 13 for that passage with 14 because I think they flow well together. So Peter's about to speak up and say, hey, Lord, what do you mean? You're not going anywhere without me. <laughs> in his beautiful, bold way. But but let's just stop for a minute and think as we're here. Um, he's commanded us to love in a way that is brand new. To love in a way that is brand new. I want us to try and get our minds around that for a minute. Okay? Uh, what does it mean to love in what, did, what do you think Jesus meant to tell them to love in a way that was brand new? Like you've never loved before. Like you've ne- literally, like you've never loved before. You think you love your wife and your children, your spouse? You think you love God? I want you to learn to love in a way you've never loved before. It's brand new. And in fact, guess what? 
Jesus says, you don't have a choice. You don't have a choice. This is a commandment. Do we have choices to choose? Which of the commandments can we choose not to follow? Anybody have a few you don't want to follow, so you just pick and choose? We can't. Not if we're going to be faithful. Not if we're true and, and true to God and followers. We must obey the commandments. But he doesn't say, I'm, I give you another commandment. You know, I, I don't, a commandment isn't a suggestion. This is how you will live if you are to be my disciples. That's what Jesus is saying. And, you know, we, hear, we can hear the words of the Apostle Paul here, can't we? Now let's hear the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. When he says, in verse 17, If any man is in Christ, he is a new. The Greek word, kainos. He is a brand new creation. Not uh, new, you're, you're a young Christian if you're in Christ, you're just, you know, you've been, you're, you're, you're brand new. It's, it's a new creation. Paul even uses that word. The old is gone and the new has come. That's 2 Corinthians 5.17. Now you kind of get a heart for what Paul learned that from Christ and his encounter and his teachings and his time as, as, an, as a you know, disciple and then becoming an apostle. John obviously did. This is what they were learning. This was the number one lesson that Christ's disciples had to learn. Because if they couldn't learn this lesson, there would be no Christianity afterwards. There'd be no faith afterwards. You see, if this lesson about love, if this new commandment about love didn't sink in and take hold and they didn't learn what he meant, then nothing was going to work. Nothing works without it. Because here's the truth. There really is no Christian faith without this kind of love. You and I are Christians. We are in this Bible study, we're in this room, we're in this church, we're in this place because we believe and we claim to be his disciples. But the truth is, we are only his true disciple to the extent that we truly learn to love the way he loved. Listen to what Jesus says. By this, verse 35, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It begins in the household. It begins, in, it begins with them. Okay. These 12, 11 now, 11 men, we'll be back to 12 eventually with Matthias' election and then the Apostle Paul kind of rounds it out to make a baker's dozen, I guess, is 13. Uh, but these 11, if, if they couldn't love one another with this as a brand new believer, as a brand new creation in Christ, then it was never going to work. Okay? And that is the love that changed the world. And the fact that Christian... The early years of Christian faith on earth, the first three, four hundred years, okay, those were, the, those were the years of the most persecution, but yet the greatest growth the church has ever known. If you look at the percentage of people to the percentage of the population of the world, the, the, the percent of, of Christians and converts and how it grew, I mean, it's just it's amazing. It, it finally, eventually, 
won over the Roman Empire. Even the emperor became a Christian. Why did the emperor become a Christian? Because no matter how many emperors fed Christians to the lions, you know, there was something in these Christians that would look at those emperors and say, glory to God, feed me. Martyrs. There is no greater, again, we're back to that idea of sacrificial love. There is no greater glory than sacrificial love. And there is no greater sacrifice than to lay down one's life for his friends. And those martyrs laid down their lives not just for their friends, but for the, for the emperor, for a, a man who hated them, for a way of life that was totally opposite of theirs. But they were willing to die so that Christ may be seen and lived in this world. Our world is waiting. Here's what I want to say today. Our world is waiting for Christian people to get this right. We are, every generation has to embrace this teaching. Every generation has to, because, you know, we're, we're only as good as what we, you know, we can pass on. What we pass on will only be as good as what we have. Every, every generation, but we cannot stand on the love of the previous generations. We must be that love to the world today. So, all around us, uh, I fear that Christian churches everywhere, communities everywhere, are too often seen as just like any other group, any other religion. That's a place where people go worship their God. Those are a group of people that have a set of beliefs. But nobody says, oh, those are people that love to death. (laughs) Those are people that love unconditionally. Those are people that, I mean, Am I wrong? I mean, I just think that is what's happened in our world. We've become so materialistic. We've become so safe. We've become so comfortable that we don't love like Jesus taught us to love anymore. We need to aspire to that. Well, to aspire to that takes great sacrifice. It takes great sacrifice. Um, demands are all. Uh, John Wesley, I believe, or Charles Wesley, I can't remember which one wrote the hymn. Um, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And what is that song from? What's that song? When I survey the wondrous cross. When I look upon the wondrous cross of Jesus Christ, that ultimate act of glory and love of the Father, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Big challenge here, big challenge. What Jesus is laying out before his disciples is a huge, huge challenge. Yes? Well, I've heard so often that you can love, but you don't need to be a doormat. I've heard that a lot. From what, what do you mean by that? That you, you just don't let people walk all over you. Why, that, do, why do we say that? Why do people I don't say know. that? I mean, I, I mean, I've I, been guilty. I mean, I've I, said I've that before, that. too. So yeah. I've heard that a lot. I've, I've said that before. That too, but I, that came to my mind when you were talking. Yeah. But where, I mean. Because we, because we, 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 we want to love like Jesus, but hey, there are limits, right? We don't want people <laughs> to just walk all over us. 
I mean, but then it's not sacrificial. Then it's not real. Then it's not really selfless. Then it's not really merciful. Right. Yeah. So I, I'm telling you, it's a battle. This isn't an easy thing, and Jesus knew it wouldn't be easy for them. In fact, it's so it's so hard that there's no way we can do it without His Holy Spirit. Right. And that's why Jesus tells them, and I think in chapter thirteen. Uh, not 13, but when we get a little further in 14 or something, he says, you know, I, I've got to go away. But the Holy Spirit will come. He will guide you. He will lead you into all truth. He will be with you forever. Uh, we need that power. We cannot do it without that power. Um, but you're right. We, we, I, uh, God forgive me, I've probably taught my own children or somebody in, in this situation say, well, you know, don't let them walk all over you. You know, We stand up for ourselves, right? You know, I just That's an instinct in us human beings. Yes, Luther? In one of our Bible studies recently, uh, a lady said, <clears throat> talking about this same subject, about yeah. loving people in spite of, and she said, and maybe you can explain it, I don't quite understand it, but she said, some people you have to love at a distance. Oh, yeah. Well, I think what she's saying, or whoever said that, is saying uh, they're just so difficult to love that I'm easier for me to love them from a distance because if I get too close, I just don't want to love them, I guess. And that's true, I'm sure. That's very true. But there again, if we remove ourselves to the distance and say I'll love them from a distance, we're not really trying, are we? Where if we stay in the crucible, we stay in the matter where it's difficult, we have to learn to love. Um, Are you saying that we have to stay in a situation where we're... You, I mean, you ultimately love that person, but can you allow them... Are we to allow them to crush our spirit? Let me, rephrase, let, me, let me rephrase... Let me rephrase your thought here. I, I don't... The way the question is being asked, are we to allow them to crush our spirit? I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think that God would allow your spirit to be crushed by these outside forces? Ultimately, would he really allow that? Or would he allow you just so much pain as you think you're being crushed? Okay. But you're really not. Because God is greater than anything and he can help us persevere. Because his word promises that we are to stand up and firm in the battle, and he will help us pursue. So I, I, I'm trying to take your, you, it's a, it's a very human thought, what you just asked. And I'm, and believe me, I'm not the paragon of, paragon of virtue up here. I'm not this perfect guy that's figured all this out. I, I'm right there in the battle with you, the battle to learn to love. But I think there's something to... We sell God short in his ability to keep us and to preserve us and to persevere with us because they're going to crush our soul. Nobody can crush our soul if God is with us. You know what I mean? Yes, go ahead. Um, I worked with a lady for two years that I don't think she liked anybody. She certainly didn't like me, and she tried to get me fired for two years. Mm. And... You know, I prayed a lot during that time. Mm-hmm. One time specifically, I prayed for her as she was coming down the hall. And I said, Lord, just let us go along. Let us have a good conversation. She came in, sat down on my edge of my desk, and we just talked and talked. Mm-hmm. 
That only happened once. <laughs> was interesting. It was a response to your prayer for her. For her, I still pray for her. I, I have no idea. She yeah. lives in El Dorado or did. Yeah. But I just so powerful. You to know, pray that's for just her. an example, and I know yeah. other people have been in those situations too. It's just very hurtful, but you have to be strong. It's hard. It's it's yeah. hard. I, you know, this is there is a limit. Probably to everything, you know, there are, there are limits. I'm not saying, you know, I, I have uh, counseled people in, in, in uh, I think this comes out a lot in marriages, you know, uh, where people are being truly physically abused. I don't counsel people to stay in a position of abuse uh, just to become a psychologically become a doormat for people. You know, they just, they, they need to step away from that where there really, truly is some uh, abuse where they're not dealing, maybe the other partner's alcoholic, maybe there's issues. Um, so I'm not saying they're... But it's important that even in that council that we teach them to love. You know, there isn't... You know, we cannot hate. And, and this is the thing. We, Jesus says to love our enemies. To pray. But you did, Joan. To pray for those who persecute us. The, to live the life that Christ calls us to live is not easy. You know, Christianity is, is it, Jesus said, narrow is the gate and few are they that really find it. It's not easy. But it's worth it. That's what we need to capture. It's worth it. And we will, as we as we persevere, we will grow stronger. Our love will increase. But we need to practice. I think this is where spiritual discipline comes in. We need to practice acts of love. You know, if we're really going to be emissaries of Christ's love, love, John goes on, our author, I always, it's interesting to me as I read the Gospel of John how I compare his thoughts in the first epistle of John. Same writer, and you can just see his teachings all over the place. You know, in, in his first epistle, he says, Brothers and sisters, let us not love just in words only. Because that's not really love. Let us, we need to love in deeds, in truth. So, you know, I think we need to, as we try and grow in this amazing brand new love that Jesus commands us to have, that only comes by the power of his spirit, we must yield ourselves to his spirit and receive his love first, and then he loves through us. I think we need to put it into practice. You know, we cannot, and so if we just withdraw, maybe from like your friend said, Luther, if we just withdraw and love them from a distance, we don't have a chance to put it into practice. We need to stay in the, stay in the battle. Uh, there, there are, I used to love that verse that Paul said, you know, there's some, Paul said, uh, you know, insofar as, I can't give you the scripture in the verse, I think it's in the book of Romans, he says, uh, Insofar as possible, try and be at peace with all men. <laughs> and I used to say, well, you see there, even Paul says, insofar as possible, there are just some people you can't be at peace with. <laughs> Matthew 10, 14. <laughs> what is, read it to us. If any household or ta- town refuses to welcome you or listen to your message, uh, shake its dust from your feet as you leave. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you can't. In that case, you know, there's, a, there's maybe a time to leave and walk away from those that will not listen. Jesus even did that. He said, I've, I've, I've got to take my message to those that will listen. Um, 
But yet the truth is, uh, love always comes from the heart. Where our heart is, you know, that that's where we that's where we need to uh, to center it in the love of Christ, in the love, and it's a love that's greater. It's it, Jesus did all these miracles, but yet the love that he was going to show from the cross was greater than all the miracles. You know, the apostles, these disciples, they're about to go out and in you know, in, in just with a matter of a few short time, they're going to be out there working miracles themselves. You know, post the resurrection, post the ascension, post the Pentecost, and they're walking and living in the power of the Holy Spirit and mighty miracles and things are being done. They're going to be doing miracles themselves, amazing things. The book of Acts records them for us. But yet, those are not even enough. That's not enough to win the world for Jesus. The world will never be won for Jesus unless there is love, until we love one another and love our neighbor. And here's the key. I think one of the keys is, is uh, this new command. What makes this new, I'll, I'll kind of end with this thought. One of the things that I think that makes, or perhaps it's the thing, I should say, that makes this love of Jesus brand new love is the old law in the law of Moses said, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? And Jesus quoted that law, the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. But now what is he really saying? He's saying, he's not saying, go love your neighbor as yourself anymore. He's giving them a new commandment. It's go love your neighbor as I have loved you. There's a new standard. Jesus is laying down a new standard. The standard for his followers is not the law of Moses. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we, we, we Christians, we're really good at quoting that one still. Even though we don't say we adhere to the Mosaic law in so much that we, we love to quote that. Well, I just, you know, love my neighbor as myself, you know. Well, guess what? Jesus doesn't want us to love the neighbor as ourselves. He wants us to love our neighbors as he would love our neighbors. Well, that's a whole new ballgame there. That's a new standard. That's a new commandment. But it's the commandment. Without it, the world is not one for Christ. So we got to keep preaching that. We got to keep teaching that. We got to keep practicing the love of Christ as best we can in our world. And when we fall down, we need to confess and we need to allow. This is where spiritual disciplines come into play. We need to be in not only just study of the word, but in prayer. Prayer is where we're really transformed. You know, when 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 we're in this direct communion with God and his spirit that is moving us and, and changing us and molding us so that we can truly love as Christ loves the world. Um, well, as we transition, next week we'll finish the last couple of verses, but it's really, they. I think they should be part of 14 in a sense, um, because Peter, we're going to hear the question from Peter, Lord, where are you going? And, and then it'll flow right into chapter 14. But for now, maybe this is enough. Um, One other interruption. Yes, please, jump right in. You were talking about mercy a while ago. Yes. And uh, I thought of you being an example of that with your uh, doing funerals for people who don't hmm. believe and for people who have need of uh, I appreciate you saying that. things like that. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I, I feel it's a work of mercy. I really do. 
uh, so much so that I told the uh, I told the funeral director, the one that calls me the most. I told him I said I will never ask you for money for a funeral service. He he would ask me. You know they forget to pay me sometimes, and and he would say why didn't you say something? We just forgot to pay you. And I said I would never ask for money for a funeral. If you want to pay me, you can pay me. Great, but I don't do it for the money. It's a work of mercy. And I think that's why he kept calling me, because <laughs> not that he would forget. I don't mean it that way. But he actually said, he actually said, I just, you don't know how many pastors, their first question is, well, where's my check? And I thought, oh, my. you know, just no witness there, you know. And, and I don't, I appreciate you saying that. I don't want to talk about myself, but I, it really is a work of mercy that, that we should do. You know, Jesus calls us to, to bury the dead. And, and, I, and I have a firm belief that every human soul deserves a dignified service and burial. Whether they believed like I did or not. I've done funerals for atheists. Uh, I've done funerals for, with, I've done a, I've done a funeral with a, family that was part Buddhist. <laughs> some of the family were Buddhist and some were Christian. And, and, and I let the Buddhists stand right there. I did the Christian burial part and then they did their chants and stuff right after them at the casket at the graveyard. And, and that's okay because all children are gods and all truth is gods and all love is gods. You know, and their soul is in God's hands. I don't know whether that person was truly a Buddhist or a Christian. I just don't know. But it's not for me to know. It's just for me to love. So we love. So let that be our challenge today, to go love. By doing that, too, doing your part, you'd be in a witness to them, too. I hope so. I hope so. I I, I truly hope so. Probably never know, but I I hope so. You know, I I had the privilege of meeting a family this week. I have a funeral service on Saturday and a funeral service on Sunday afternoon that have fallen together, and, and they're both for people that, uh, well, the first family on Saturday is a, 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 such a privilege. It's, it's, a, it's a mother of a man whom I actually knew from working together for the same clothing store 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I haven't seen him in 30 years. And he's a couple years older than me, a neat guy. I remember him as he, you know, I remembered what he was 30 years ago, and, and he did me. And, and, but now I get to serve his family and uh, neat people. Uh, and then, so there's there's all blessing. And then the the family on Sunday, uh, or uh, that's the one on Sunday. The one Saturday is is, is a 57 year old man that died. Uh, he's exactly two months younger than me. And him and his wife both entered the hospital on December the 30th with H1N1 flu, and he had pneumonia on top of that. They put him on a respirator, and he never came off of it. He died on January the 15th, and she got out of the hospital the day later, and she's barely strong enough now to go to his funeral. So I went to their home yesterday and sat down with them and, and visited with them and kind of learned the story so I could prepare the service. Um, and you know, uh, both of these families have Catholic backgrounds, actually. And uh, the deceased was not practicing as a Catholic, was a believer in Christ, both of them, but didn't find uh, another church to really hold them or to, you know, and so I'll enter into that situation and I say, hey, you know what? I used to be Catholic too. 
I can appreciate your Catholicness or whatever the word would be there. You know, I, I'm not above saying a Catholic prayer for them or having a Catholic style service for them because that's what enters into their pain and that's what meets their need. You know, and so I think we have to be willing to be. The Apostle Paul said, "I'm I must be all things to all people that I might win some." You know, I think there's something for us to learn there. Um, but let us take today away from Bible study with a challenge to love. Love as Christ loves. A brand new commandment. New commandment of love. Well, I, because I was late today, I was in such a rush and out of sync, I didn't pray before we started. But if you have your prayer cards, let's pray this prayer as we close today. And let this be our closing prayer together. Uh, do, you, do you have a card? Does everybody have one? You can read along with me. Okay. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Thank you all. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.